0: mad to you? Oh, no! March Madness? How am I any more mad than I am any other crazy time of it? Oh, hi, it's Pete Pomisano, and welcome to another episode of our LTPs Off-Road with me. And this week we go back to our uh, theater roots uh, featuring two people from theater. Uh, the first one will be Kristen Tripp-Kelly, who is joining us for our feature RLTP Ensemble at Work Elsewhere. And uh, frankly Kristen is often at work elsewhere, but she is an ensemble member so she fits the bill perfectly. And Kristen will be talking about a show that she is directing elsewhere at the Kavanoki Theater Pride and Prejudice, still running for a couple weeks I think after this podcast is released. So uh, check that out if you can. And also on this episode You know, I don't talk to a lot of actors and I don't do it because, well, where does it end? I mean, if you start talking to one actor, you gotta talk to another actor. So I always try to look for some hook, some reason why I'm speaking to an actor because there are plenty of actors in Buffalo and there are plenty of people who have a lot to say about their lives and so on. But this time I thought if you had witnessed the Artie Awards this past year, when they were held at the Kavanoke and most people couldn't even get in so you had to watch it online which is what I did. You view it online, you paid for a ticket and you watched it online and and represented for the Career Achievement Award was Neil Radis, and Neil Radis seemed to be able to not get past five seconds of his speech, his thank you speech without mentioning This man's name. And I thought to myself, well, I guess I need to talk to the guy. And the guy is Tom Owen. So I'm speaking to Tom Owen this week because Neil Radis mentioned him over and over again, and it occurred to me that Tom might be able to fill in a lot of gaps. In last year's history series, if you will recall, when I did the history of Buffalo Theater, maybe Tom Owen can fill in some information for me. So that's what I'm gonna do. But first, let's talk to Kristen Tripp Kelly about her adventures over there at the Kavanoki where she is directing Pride and Prejudice here on RLTP's Off-Road. After the trauma of Indecent, you're back directing another show at the Kavanoki Yeah,
1: the trauma. I know, and I'm so happy to be back in the theater again, but it is a challenging time to produce, even two years later.
0: <laughs> no, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, yeah. I'm doing a show also, and we we wore masks through the entire rehearsal process. Yeah. We finally, it was just three of us, so we just took a COVID test last Saturday, and took our masks off on Sunday. so
1: Yeah, we were testing three times a week and in masks until a few days before Tech Saturday. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we were just desperate to get them off (laughs) because it's really tough to do when you can't see your acting partners responding to you, you know.
0: (laughs) Eileen said to me after we had our masks off, she said, oh, I, I just happened to notice you, the expression on your face now. Right. I thought that was an interesting, because as you just said, you're reacting to your, your partner there, your scene partner, and sometimes the expression on your face is important, you know, yeah. to, to the reaction.
1: And this play is very athletic and physical. The actors are running all over the stage for the scene changes and just the business within the scenes, dancing. So it was challenging for them to have their breath supply cut off. You know, <laughs> they were really, really grateful when they finally got to.
0: Well, I'm not going to keep you too long because this yeah. is just a little segment. But tell us about the tell us about this play. Uh, you're an RLTP member ensemble member at work elsewhere at the Cavanokie. Tell us about this play. We all well, I shouldn't say we all, but we've certainly heard of the title, which is.
1: Pride and Prejudice, yes. Of course, this is based on Jane Austen's novel, adapted by Kate Hamill, who is being produced all over the country now. She's known for fresh takes on classics Mm -hmm. that, that do a wonderful job of preserving the core, everything we love about these books, but making them more accessible to modern audiences. So yeah, we've set this in 1813, the year Pride and Prejudice was published and it's eight actors. All of the actors are doubling up, playing multiple roles, except for our romantic leads, Darcy Mm -hmm. and Lizzie. Mm -hmm. It's great fun. As I said, I think the core of the story is there, but then there's lots of silliness. (laughs) 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 <laughs> <laughs> on the periphery. I mean, pretty farcical moments, a lot of physical comedy, a lot of word play.
0: Is it's, this the same woman who adapted the show that the Irish did a couple of years ago? Um, yeah. Sense and Sensibility, yeah. was it?
1: This is the same woman that adapted Sense and Sensibility. She has a Vanity Fair. She has Little Women. So they're classics, but another element that ties them together is they're written by women you know and women are really at the center of these
0: stories I, see. I yeah. see. and talk about your cast for a second who do we have trotting the boards there
1: oh it's a fantastic cast fantastic cast of eight so we have ben moran playing mr doffy <laughs> and gabby mckinley playing our lizzie bennett
0: love them both
1: yeah. Diane Bernardo is an amazing Mrs. Bennett.
0: Love her. Mm-hmm.
1: And Christian Branges is playing Mrs. Bennett.
0: Oh, I don't care for him. <laughs> <laughs> no, one of my favorite guys.
1: Yeah. He's awesome. Lisette Jesus is playing the oldest sister, Jane. Mm-hmm. Renee Landrigan is playing Lydia, the baby sister. <laughs> and... In this play, there is no kitty. If you know Jane Austen's story well, there is a fifth sister in our play. Lydia is kind of an amalgamation of Lydia and uh. Kitty. And we have Jake Hayes playing Wickham, Collins, and <laughs> Miss Bingley. Oh my goodness. Charles Bingley. <laughs> yeah, Charles Bingley's sister. Of course. And yeah, Jacob Elvarella is doing a fantastic job playing both Charles Bingley and Sister Mary.
0: Oh, oh my God, <laughs> this has got to be hysterical! Yeah. Because between yeah. the between the two Jakes, you right. know, you've got uh, well. So there's a lot of comedy in it, as yeah. you said, while also preserving the original no story. No question,
1: it's a comedy. No question, it's a comedy. I mean, I think the source material's really funny. Maybe not everyone will agree with me, but I think Jane Austen is super funny and satirical. You know, it makes fun of those oppressive rules Mm -hmm. and gender expectations of Regency England. And I think Kate Hamill just kind of blows it up. Mm -hmm. You know, exaggerates the satire.
0: Now, this is not a show where we're going to be hearing modern music or anything like that, is it?
1: Red. i mean we're not talking
0: about rap music and hip-hop and are we or is you...
1: the music sounds 19th century it's a quartet but they are treatments of pop songs i don't know
0: is there a live band or oh, no
1: no no it's all it's the music is by a group called vitamin quartet mm-hmm. and they're known for doing what i just said kind of their own classical spins on pop songs.
0: How interesting.
1: So you may or may not even recognize the pop songs that are at the heart of their treatments. I mean, the, the music is still kind of appropriate to the mood of every scene, but if you can pick them out, it's another layer of fun. <laughs>
0: yeah. And are the actors singing in it or is this just incidental music?
1: It's incidental music. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, part of some really important dance moments. <laughs> <laughs> a lot happens at the balls <laughs> in Jane Austen's stories. Yeah.
0: Jeez, yeah. that sounds like a great, great cast. I I, I don't know Lisette. I know of her, but everybody else I've worked with or just admired, you know, in a number of different ways. But yeah, that's a, that's a great, great cast.
1: Yeah, they're wonderful. Oh, God. <laughs> They have huge hearts. As I said, it's not easy to do theater right now, but um, they kept it fun for me. They kept me lifted up.
0: You're still doing the, the masks for the audience and vaccine, even though Shays has dropped all the requirements. I think they pretty much had to for their, you know, their Broadway shows coming in. And the BPO has dropped their requirements. The smaller theaters, like Kavanoki and Roadless and New Phoenix. We're all still doing masked audiences. Is that true still there at the CAV?
1: Yeah, audiences are still masked and being asked for proof of facts or a negative test.
0: Yeah. And I have to say, if you've been to any shows with a mask on, you really forget it very easily. Oh, yeah. You know, I've seen a couple of shows since since the reopenings. and. After a few minutes, you just don't even realize you're wearing a mask anymore and and you forget it. Of course, the the actors are unmasked. They have to be. Yes. But for everybody else's protection, they're they're still wearing masks until we really get beyond this whole crisis. Uh, I
1: hope we're almost there. I mean, we're just keeping an eye on the numbers. Yeah, yeah. You know, and eventually I'm sure it will become mask optional. But for now, it seems the safest bet. It's been working. And we want to stay open.
0: Yes, we, we sure as heck do. As you said, you're just keeping an eye on the numbers. Anything else you want to promote while we're, while we're doing this before I say goodbye? Anything else coming up?
1: No, this is the last project for me this season. So, I, yeah, I hope people come out and, and celebrate these actors. They're doing such great work. And right. it's just a fun antidote to difficult times, you know? It's <laughs> really It's a feel-good night. At the theater.
0: Well, I will be there on a matinee because I don't have awesome. matinees, and I look forward to seeing it. And jeez, uh, I love talking to you. I'll think of some other excuse to have uh, Kristen Tripp Kelly <laughs> on the podcast. You're almost a regular now.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm always happy to talk to you.
0: Oh, thank you, dear. My best to everybody in the cast. Uh, they're all friends, and I, I love them all. And uh, and I'll see you soon.
1: Yes, I'll come see you too. Take care, dude. Phoenix. Yeah, take thank care. You. Bye bye now. Bye bye.
0: So, Kristen, what a lovely lady, one of my dearest friends. And after you go see Tribes at RLTP, of course, go over and catch Pride and Prejudice. You'll enjoy it. It's supposed to be a lot of fun. And now, without any further ado, let's talk to a guy who might be able to fill us in on stuff that we didn't think about or didn't know about in the History of Buffalo Theater, because he was there. He has stories to tell, and here's Tom Owen. What I discovered when I did the History of Buffalo Theater is there was one name that came up all the time, in the oddest of places. And it was Neil Radis. Mm-hmm. Yes. Who helped you so much with this? Neil Radis, Mary Kate O'Connell. If I needed something, I called Neil Radis. Lorraine O'Donnell, how did you start? Neil Radis. Everybody I spoke to, all of a sudden, Neil Radis's name came up. And now in conjunction with Neil Radis, <laughs> Tom <laughs> Owen's name comes up. And so I said, I gotta talk to this guy, Tom Owen. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and it's incredible when you think of the history of the theater. I mean, it pretty much started with community theater.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, there are all kinds of community theaters throughout Western New York. Yes. And that's how we all sort of started. I mean, and then it went into the dinner theater mode. I mean, then all these dinner theaters opened and then professional theaters. It's
0: funny because you are confirming exactly what Neil said when I talked to him. He said the Buffalo Theater community progression followed his progression exactly exactly what you just said community theater dinner theater small professional theater and and so you and neil obviously but you you were there for all of it i mean i started in community theater as well and did dinner theater as well but we were you know i was in the south towns i was in a different group of people but you were there with neil through that whole thing so when did you first when did
2: you first meet neil let's start there And that's what's really important, because Neil and I met when we were both teenagers at the Museum of Science, Buffalo Museum of Science, and nobody realizes that there was a huge music program at the Buffalo Museum of Science. You're right. I didn't know. And he mentioned that briefly, but can you explain a little bit about it? Yeah, I mean, I started when I was 10 at the museum. Uh, I had a neighborhood friend who knew that I loved to sing. My parents are singers, and and I love to sing. And I sang with the Buffalo Citywide Chorus, you know, the the community, the chorus for the grammar schools. And my friend Elaine came to me one day and said, well, I'm going to the museum, and they have this chorus at the museum. Would you like to join? And I went, oh, sure. So I trailed (laughs) along with her, and my very first show was Alice in Wonderland. I was 10 years old. I played the King of Hearts. I had one line, not yet, my dear. Every time the queen would say off with her head, I would just say, not yet, my dear. That was it. That's where it started. That's what my parents. Were. And then it, this woman we worked with there. I'm sorry, excuse me to interrupt a second. But So it sounds like it wasn't just a
0: chorus group. It sounds like it was actually producing little mm-hmm. mini shows.
2: Is, yes. is that is that right? Oh, that's correct. Oh, I see. Um, didn't yeah, know that I either. mean, all these things that we did there. And then this wonderful woman, Miranda Curry, I don't know if Neil mentioned her, Madam Miranda, Um, she came in and started us. Now, we're high school. We're well, not even high school. Well, we are pretty much high school. But freshmen, sophomores, doing Gilbert and Sullivan. <gasps> Amazing. I mean, it's, it is. It's It's incredible when you think about it. And there's still a big group. We all talk. Some of them still have their costumes. <laughs> My parents did sets. My parents did costumes. It was that typical thing that we all worked together to put on these wonderful shows. I did Pirates of Penzance. I did the Mikados. I did the Gondoliers. That's how I met Neil. And where did this
0: lady come from? Where, England. But was she connected to the to this, uh, Museum of Science? Yes, they hired t- her. Well, they must yeah. have hired
2: her. I mean, we never, you know, we were kids. So we were assumed that this woman was hired by the Museum of Science to do this this programming in the museum. And we actually did the performances on the stage that is still there at the Museum of Science. And approximately what years are we
0: talking about here? Give me a
2: ballpark. Yeah, because I'm trying to think I said it. So it has to be from 60 to 64 maybe when we were doing all the Gilbert and Sullivan, maybe even 59 to 64. That's amazing. Um, And a lot of those young people, we stay in touch, we get together and go out to dinner. Um, As a matter of fact, the museum is planning a reunion August 27th, I'm on the committee, to get as many of these museum kids. We were called the museum kids. Um, I attended from 1956 to 1964, took science programs, field trips, did the the shows uh, with them. And people don't realize, too, the museum, when it was first built, was also supposed to be a concert hall. Oh, I didn't know that either. There's a huge library that was given to the Philharmonic because of course it never happened at the Museum of Science, but there was this huge music library that was then given to Clanghans Music Hall, from what I understand. Hmm. But Miranda Curry was from England, this woman was an opera singer in England, who came over, and that's who I studied voice with, I studied voice with her also. Well, that explains your
0: voice for sure, you obviously well tra- Now, were there any other names who were we might recognize who were you said you, get, you still get together with some of these people? Are there mm-hmm. any other names we might recognize from that that started out in that tiny group?? I,
2: I doubt it. Neil Neil would be the only one that I could think of that continued like myself in mm-hmm. theater. And you didn't know him
0: before that, that you met him through this through that. science
2: museum. Isn't that At 17. Amazing. And then, of course, I went in the military and got out in 1970. And then we reconnected and started the Chigtawaga Town Players, which became the Appletown Players, in 1971. Wow. Okay. So that was when that group started. And, you know, and Neil, again, was very much involved and directed. All of, he pretty much directed. I don't think he performed much, but he directed. And Ellen Horst. I mean, <laughs> oh, of Ellen course, Horst did yes. She performed in Three Penny Opera with me. Ellen was
0: not involved in the in the science museum stuff. No. Okay, let me ask you this quickly. Now, first of all, you you were in the military. So, what branch were you in? Air Force. Air Force. Okay. So you come back. How did you reconnect with Neil? Did he, did you just naturally, because you were friends, connect again or did he seek you out or out of that? Work? We
2: never stopped being friends. I mean, that whole museum group is a very close, tight group. I and I mean, we still are. So we never lost touch. So when I came back from the military, we touched base immediately, got to talking one night and said, what can we do? What should um, we be doing? And um, Wally Burney, Walter Burney, he lives in Florida now, said, hey, we can have the meetings at my house on Floss Avenue on the east side of Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> and a whole bunch of us got together and started this to Town Players and did some amazing productions.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, there were a lot of community theaters, as you, as you said, and there were terrific yes. production values in many of these places. And uh, what I wanted to ask you was, when you came back and you started to do all this or you, you started up this community theater thing. Was Neil doing something else in the meantime? In other words, did he have another occupation? And then, or, or were they just, were you guys just sitting around? You're, you're very young men. You, you had to be in your early twenties, right?
2: Yes. Right, exactly.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, no. and so you were just sort of, what can we do with our,
2: with ourselves? Right. Yeah. Well, could, and what could we do to continue the theater and music that we, we loved, Mm-hmm. And we didn't want to go, you know, the museum, you could only be at the museum until you were 17 or 18 ah. and you had to stop. So, of course, at that point, all those people had to stop performing at the Museum of Science once they reached a certain age.
0: And was the Museum of Science, was that a unique opportunity in Buffalo or were there other things like that taking place in this city that you know of? In other words, did you ever do like a, a recital with other up against other groups or was the Museum of Science like a unique I think it was very unique. Okay. And of
2: course, it drew young people from all over Buffalo. I mean, Mm. not just the East Side, a lot of East Side kids, of course. I mean, because we were so close, we could walk to the museum, like myself. But they did come from everywhere. And they all had this love of singing and performing. And it just was very unique. And think about it, doing Gilbert and Sullivan at 15, 16, 17 years old. It's unthinkable. It's amazing. And good productions. I mean, really... (laughs) Good productions. I mean, yeah. they're very, very well done and vocally very strong and very good.
0: Those uh, were the days when everybody did everything just for the love of it. Now, where did you perform the Cheektawaga and Appletown play? Where did where did you guys actually, what
2: stage did you use? Yeah, we used the Cheektawaga High School but we also used, oh, God, there's a middle school on Harlem Road. We used that. I mean, Maryville, I think we used Maryville. So we moved a little bit, you know, with the Cheek to Wagga town players, or the Appletown players we became, because Cheek to you know, was the land of the crab apple. That's what it stands for. <laughs> so we, we chose that as the Apple. Oh,
0: Appletown, player. of course. That yes. makes perfect sense.
2: Which we love.
0: Hamburg Little Theater, we were using Hamburg High School and then the Union Street School. Yeah. And then that's what you did in those days. Right. Because the schools had these tremendous huge stages and some of them had a lot of good facilities in terms of lighting and sound and so on. Yeah. Not not as advanced obviously as
2: today, but and then and that's how and it's interesting because you know Arlinda Morano? Of you course Linda? Mm-hmm. she performed with us. That's when I first met Arlinda. And where did and she her come? two sisters and, and Pam and yeah. Where did they come? They were not part of the museum science museum. No, we would have open audition. auditions. Auditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they would come in and audition for us and uh yeah, that's how I met Arlinda.
0: Every now and then you come up with a fantastic talent like Arlinda Morano.
2: Yeah. Amazing. And, and it was interesting, though, because Miranda Curry was still, you know, I was always very close to this woman because she was mm-hmm. my teacher and she contacted me. It was very funny because she contacted me after I came back from the military and she said, I'm directing at Villa Maria at the high school and I'm directing Maine. Would you like to be in it? Hmm. And I said, yeah, you know, she said, I'd like you to do Beauregard for me. And I said, okay. And of course I did that. And I think that was early 70. That might've been like 72 or 73. Well, guess who was my main Christine Baranski. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) She was my main at Villa. She went to Villa. The high, the, yeah, She was at Villa High School. She's a, oh. an East Side Buffalo girl. She's very proud of the city. She still talks very highly. Yes, of, yes well, she does. I, mean. I, I would love to talk to her. But I was her Beauregard. And uh, yes, and she was my name. And, Isn't that so I, wonderful? Yeah, you know, which was wonderful back then. It, it was great. And then... I auditioned for Don Jones. Oh, for the DJ players. The DJ players. Mm -hmm. And Don hired me, and I left the community theater world and went to dinner theater. And again,
0: I'm using you to fill in blanks, that because in, in that whole eight-episode history theater thing, there's still so much that was undiscovered, or I know I made mistakes, but I also know there are mistakes of omission. And Don Jones was mentioned, because Neil mentioned him, and we'll talk about that in a second. But to your knowledge, was Don Jones at that point the first dinner theater sort of thing happening around town?
2: Yes, he was the first. The others came after.
0: And was this at the top of the M&T Plaza?
2: Yes, that was at the m and Plaza, mm-hmm. and we did. Oh my gosh! Before we moved out to Mr. Anthony's, and there we were working. I think fifty weeks out of the year, we only had two weeks off at Christmas time. So we were doing shows every six to eight weeks.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So we were rehearsing during the day. We were taking dance lessons. We were asked to do voice lessons. All that was part of being a DJ player. Wow! And I did roles that I should have never done because I was way too young. <laughs> now I'm the right age. The spray
0: gray in your hair. Oh, yeah.
2: I was, I had stock in that company. I mean, yeah, that was like, please. Um, so, yes, I played every old man that there was to play.
0: Because you're tall and you have this voice and I'm sure that they said, oh, here's a guy who could pass for the yeah. father figure or or whatever. Right.
2: And that's what I did.
0: So the DJ players, and again, Neil had told me that the DJ players, he took over at some point at the top of the MNT. Yes, he yeah? did.
2: And <laughs> I worked with Neil there also. <laughs> I just kept flipping from place to place. Yes, Neil started the tabletop players. I think they were called the tabletop yes, players yes. Um, at the MNT. Mm-hmm. But then he also moved out to the Ramada Inn in Niagara Falls.
0: Now, was this because D- Don Jones left m and because he branched out to go to Mr. Anthony's?
2: Or... He went to Mr. Anthony's and because see. he had, he went to Mr. Anthony's that had an opening at the m and Plaza, which then Neil took over. Mm-hmm. So I bounced between DJ players and Neil's tabletop players. Of <laughs> and of people.
0: course, I talked to John Samazzi, of course, and he told me the same thing about, except he had approached Don Jones. About doing dinner theater, and Don Jones has sort of poo-pooed it, and that's why John Samazi, and Tommy—that's why they went and formed Melick and Mime. You know, we're we're jumping ahead yes. to all sorts of things here, but and
2: but, I and I worked for Melic and Mime. All these interconnections. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I was, I was a, mu- I was a dinner theater whore.
0: Well. <laughs> You know, but I think today's today's actors will be very surprised by what you said, that you guys worked 50, 52 y- weeks a year, you said. Yes. And this was a steady gig. Yes, it was. And you got paid. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, a fortune, but you you got paid. This For those who for, have forgotten, community theater was all volunteer. Yes. And it was all just for free and everybody for the love of it. And anybody could be a part of it. And, you know, you did your own costumes. You did your own makeup a lot of times. And you did, (laughs) you know, the guy down the street was helping to build the set and your mother-in-law was painting the set and so on. And then dinner theater sort of branched off of that. And we think, it sounds to me like it started with Don Jones, who was from Fredonia. Am I correct?
2: All of them, all of them. Most of the cast of the DJ players were Fredonia graduates. Mm And then he did an audition locally, I see. and he hired a few of us to fill in. Uh, I see. Yes, this
0: became a steady gig, right, at Mr. Anthony. Now, again, for people who don't know where Mr. Anthony's was, this was way out on transit in Sheridan. Transit in Sheridan, in transit 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 Sheridan. In Sheridan. Uh, yeah, where I think like the Tandoori restaurant or something yes, out it of is. that, that well, area. You know,
2: yes, it is exactly. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> you
0: know, again, I'm an old guy too. Uh, there are some young guys listening to this podcast who will. Uh, this will all come as uh, absolutely oh, no idea, no idea. <laughs> so now you're with Don Jones doing some things, and then somehow you get connected with Samazi and Melican Mime, and then back to Neil Radis again. So, oh,
2: yeah. in so Niagara Falls and cool again in Neil, the timeline. God, Neil and Niagara Falls. I'm trying to think. I worked with Ellen Horst there. I worked with Michael Galanti. I mean, all these people that are still. Some of them are. Yeah, you know, Galanti's coming back. Yes, he is. He's doing working. Yes, and he's directing somewhere too. He's directing at the Cavanoki next at year. At the cab, right? So, I mean, these are people I worked with wonderful, talented people. I mean, Mm -hmm. very gifted people. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Yes. And then in the, I'm trying to think when it was, in the late 70s, all the DJ players decided to move to New York. That was it. That's how DJs stopped. And that's why Malcolm I was able to come in and start working at the, you know, Mr. Anthony's out in transit. What was the intention? Uh, what, why go to New York? And you you went as well. Yeah. I did, w- yes. What was um, the intention? I, I think, well, it was Don Jones, basically. Well, and a few others, too. Terry Rakoff, who's still performing. God, Terry Herman loved Terry Rakoff. And she's doing a club act now. So they just all decided they wanted to make this move. To continue doing dinner theater in New York? No, professional theater. Oh, okay. Don Jones ended up directing Pirates of Penzance on Broadway. He did? Yes, he did. Wow. He was the director for that show when it opened, you know, the revival opened, Mm -hmm. you know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But yes, he was the director. And then Terry Rakoff... Jerry Herman loved Terry Rakoff, so he would put her in shows. If he did a revival, he would put her in a show. So some of them worked on a regular basis, and so did I. i got to say, I worked. That's great. <laughs> but you know what's funny is I did dinner theater. It was <laughs> – at that time, dinner theater was still huge across this country. The Coachlight Dinner Theater in Windsor Locks, Connecticut was one of the largest dinner theaters in the country. It's had 400 people. Wow. I did four shows there. The producers loved me, so they kept bringing me back. Dinner theater in, well, God, Alhambra Dinner Theater in, in Florida, the Mark I Dinner Theater in Florida, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I did Three Summer Stock in Myrtle Beach at Dinner Theater again. It's it sort of, it's very funny how, but I did regional too. I did, you know, the Hollywood Playhouse. I did. I mean, so I did some regional theaters also, but kept doing musicals. Well, for good. I mean, you've got a great
0: voice. There's a good reason why you keep doing musicals to this day.
2: I figured I sat down and made a list. I've done about 35 musicals in my lifetime (laughs) and some more than once. Like La Mancha, I've done three times and anything goes three times. And, you know, you get to do a role and they see that you've done the role and you get hired. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so, just to get back to the history here, so the DJ players basically break up or go down to New York City. That's correct. To try to do uh, you know, a professional theater. Right. Um, and that leaves an opening for Samazi and Dudzik and those guys to, to start Melican and Mime right. uh, down at the Showboat Theater at the foot of Hurdle Avenue. Mm-hmm. You are in New York and Connecticut in that area working. So, now what brings
2: you back to Buffalo? A very bad experience in a theater in Florida. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. Director. Hateful man. Oh, geez. Um, pretty evil, actually. And mm-hmm. it 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 really bothered me because up to that point, I had great experiences. I worked with wonderful directors. Isn't wonderful.
0: that true? 99% of the time that's true.
2: Yeah. yeah. And yeah. it was it was sad. I was doing Here's Love. I finally got to play a romantic lead. Come oh. on. You know, it's the it's the Miracle on 34th Street, you know, the musical <laughs> version. And I played the lawyer. And and I have to say that the thing that was interesting was the cast. Because they actually came up to me and thanked me for being the professional that I was. Mm-hmm. They saw what was going on. They knew. They're not. Mm-hmm. Actors aren't stupid. We're not no. stupid people. <laughs> so they knew. And they actually thanked me. So then I got back to New York. Well, how, excuse me. How did you get down to Florida to begin with?
0: Did you audition somewhere up in New York? and then they? Said, yes, I auditioned in New oh, York. I got yeah. you. Most okay. of the
2: auditions are always... The Connecticut yeah. ones, the Myrtle Beach, all those are done in New York. Mm-hmm. You get the cast, and then they pay for your... Then you... Right. All right. So
0: now you're in Florida. You're having a bad experience down there. So now you're going to come back to Buffalo?
2: Came back to New York and gave it lots of thought. And I sang on a singing Christmas tree in New York, which was a great paying gig. They paid very well. Mm-hmm. I did that for a couple of Christmases. <laughs> but then I just thought, you know, I'm I'm done. I'm done. And I decided to come back to Buffalo. So it was 86, I think, when I came back to Buffalo. And who put me right back to work? Neil (laughs) Raddis. Yep. Oh, yeah. He knew I was back. (laughs) I'll tell you, if
0: it hadn't been Neil Raddis, I'd have been a very surprised person
2: because he called me immediately and I. What did I do? I think I did the perfect party. I think I did John the perfect party. Might have and, been the what party. was he doing at this point? Was he still doing dinner theater? He had the alleyway. At he that.
0: had the alleyway by
2: then. Okay. So he brought me into the alleyway and uh, I did <laughs> started doing shows from at the alleyway, but then I auditioned for, you know, I mean, you know, I worked at Art Park. I worked at the Cav. Mm-hmm. I worked at musical fair. I did several, quite a few shows. All three of my arties are from musical fair. Mm. <laughs> you know, so I continued to work in Buffalo, which was which has been wonderful. Yeah, I mean, really yeah. has been wonderful.
0: Can we just go back for a second? I would like to know about your background. You you're from Buffalo, or or one of the? I'm from
2: Buffalo. East Side boy.
0: Yeah, East Side boy. And, and... East Side
2: boy. I'm an East Side boy. I, and, you know...
0: and family. What was your family like? Siblings?
2: I had three younger sisters. Mm-hmm. I was, I was very blessed because my parents both sang and had wonderful voices. Oh yeah, and encouraged. All of us. My sisters all performed at the museum. <laughs> they oh, all did Gilbert geez. and Sullivan with us. I mean, all of them. And actually, I think Donna didn't, I think Nancy also did um, Appletown Players.
0: Was the program at the Museum of Science, was that something that your parents sort of paid for, like a summer? No. Uh, almost like a camp? No. It was something. Free. Isn't that wonderful?
2: Everything was free.
0: That's amazing. Pay for nothing. That's no.
2: amazing. I know. Yeah. So think of the experience you got Yes, doing these musicals with some really talented and gifted young people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one, one of them is performing in, uh, in uh, Hawaii. She does club work in Hawaii, Louise Lambert. Yes, wow. Lambert girl. So I was very lucky to have the support of my parents, parents huge too. support. Mm-hmm. I mean, mom and daddy did sets and costumes and all, you know, for the museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they were very supportive of anything that we chose to do. To do when it came especially to music yes so i'm very lucky in respect because a lot of young men don't get that no subject. no 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 especially not theater exactly
0: did your sisters continue in any form of of a, a performance aspect
2: no no but my parents came to connecticut they came to myrtle beach
0: oh uh, God. they followed me <laughs> that's well if they're proud of you geez, i can understand well, they were. that i mean
2: they really were they were. and they will tell you my very first gig was in first grade, I got to sing The Little Drummer Boy. And they oh. will tell you that that was probably where I got hooked.
0: <laughs> that was going to be my next question. Where did you get hooked?
2: First grade, huh? First grade, did The Drummer Boy, Little Drummer Boy. But wow. again, I had parents who sang. We we had music in the house all, all the, the time. time. All the time. And when we went camping, we were a big camping family. We sang around the campfire. My mother harmonized everything. She was amazing.
0: Were you listening to show tunes or were you listening to, to legitimate opera or were you, were they classical or were they rock and roll fans? What were they? What no, music? they were
2: the, that's a piece of music back here. Uh-huh. It was written by the same man who wrote Peg of My Heart, which is an old song that goes back to like the 30s and 40s. That's what I grew up with. I bought that at a historic store because my parents sang Peg of My Heart. <laughs> so I grew up with music from the 40s, 40s and 50s. That's the music that we played in our house. I see, I see. I mean, it was the Andrew Sisters. It was, you know, it was. that's what I grew up with. I grew up with that.
0: Did your parents perform or were they in some other line of work?
2: No, they. well, my mother didn't work until, God, I was already out of the military, I think. But my mother went back to work. So my mother was a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. Um, dad worked in a factory which everybody did pretty much in yeah, those days sure in those days you know so no that that's my background and you know and that's why i said it was kind of nice that my parents encouraged what i chose to do yes and and always encouraged it even when i came back to buffalo you know they were thrilled that i was going to continue to do theater here in buffalo and came to alleyway and saw shows and came to musical fair and saw the shows and you know i mean they were always there
0: you didn't go to school for theater in any way, did you? No, I'm a speech path major. I had
2: speech pathology. That's my degree. Where'd you go to school? UB. UB speech pathology. Yes, but I did take theater courses mm-hmm. while I was there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, why not? You know.
0: So I and did. Where, where did speech pathology come from? Where did you get an interest in that?
2: I have no idea. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I started out in communications. I started out in communications. They went, oh, I'm not really crazy about this. So I went over and transferred to Speech Path because some of the courses were able, you know, you were able to transfer mm-hmm. to Speech mm-hmm. Path and liked it. But the problem is, when I graduated, that's when I really got very involved in theater because mm. I graduated in 76 from the University of Buffalo. I didn't start college until I got out of the military. I see. Um, so I then, once we, I graduated from UB, it was almost like I'm getting ready to move to New York.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? so you've got the speech pathology degree, but but you're going to abandon that basically to go to follow your heart
2: and do theater. Exactly. But the degree, I'm so glad I had the degree because the degree, the degree always got me jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when I decided to leave theater, yes, I had a very dear friend. He's still, he's still performing, Steve Schmidt. We did couple shows up at Connecticut. Uh, He and his wife live in Maryland right now, but he performs in Washington all the time, all the time. He's an equity actor, always performs in Washington. His wife was the head of HR at the Hyatt in New York City. Okay. And I was looking to, you know, just not do theater, not audition, get a job, and I put together a resume, and of course, on my resume, there's a speech degree. I had worked, you know, I had worked before I, you know, moved to New York and different jobs uh, with the Department of Transportation, as a matter of fact, with the DOT for a while when I first got out of the military. She saw my resume and went, "Well, you want to work here in the HR department?" <laughs> and I went, "That would be nice." And I became the training manager at the UN Plaza Hotel in New York City. And when I decided to move to Buffalo, the Hyatt transferred me here to the Hyatt. So I even had a job when I moved back to Buffalo in 86. Oh, my God. That is great. (laughs) I've always, I've been one lucky person, Peter. I will say that. So many people move to New York and and they they get nothing. You know, Mm -hmm. it takes them forever to get anything. I moved to New York, auditioned for an equity showcase, got the equity showcase. It was Johnny Mercer, as a matter of fact. Good Lord, Mrs. Mercer came, Whiting came. I mean, all these famous people. Rosemary Clooney came. They all came to see this review of Johnny Mercer, uh, which was wonderful. They all made a point of coming back and saying hello to us. So I did that. I moved in late summer, I think. In the fall, I was doing this review, and I get a call from an agent saying, we'd like you to audition for the show in Connecticut. And I went, okay. And I went in and auditioned. And got it. So in October, I was already up in Connecticut doing dinner theater. This huge dinner theater. See, that's not luck, though, Tom. I mean, that, I mean, <laughs> well, it, we
0: have to look at it. There's, you know, there has to be some reason why somebody's calling you. It's not out of the. They're not looking through the phone book and just blindly picking a name. That's, yeah, that, that, that that would be luck. That
2: is, <laughs> well, and a lot of it has to do with the people who are casting and you know what they're looking for. And that's a great audition. And I use that when I talk to young people all the time. Because I wasn't used to auditioning professionally, what I call, well, you know, what we call professionally. I mean, sure, sure. they knew me in community theater and they call me, you know. And I remember going in and singing and getting called back to the dance audition. No, I'm not a great dancer. You know, we've talked about that, Peter. I move well, (laughs) and I do tap. I mean, Lynn still makes me get up my tap shoes every now and then. (laughs) But I went in, it was the strangest thing because I walked into the audition and it's all men. And we faced the mirrors, and I just went, oh, my gosh, every guy came up to my shoulders. <laughs> so I'm, like, sticking out like this sore thumb, and they're all these cute little boys. You know, they're all, like, you know, these young, gorgeous dancers. Yeah. And here's this tall, skinny guy, you know, head taller than all of them. So I, I started doing, you know, I did the
0: routine. And well, everything. it made you stand out. Let's face it. Your height makes you stand out.
2: Well, the best is David Guthrie, who was the director, stopped. He said, could we just stop for a second? And he he went like this. He motioned me over to the table. So I went over to the table and I said, I know, you made a big mistake. I really shouldn't be here, right? (laughs) No, will you just calm down and do the routine? <laughs> <laughs> and they went, oh, that's professional theater. If you're called back, there's a reason you're called back. Oh, that's very cool. And oh, I got wow, it. That's great. Yeah, I got it. I got the role and did the show. And then and the producers loved me so well. The uh, Sam and Ruth Belkin, I remember the producers even. Lovely couple, husband and wife. They liked me so well, they brought me back three more times. They actually would call, you know, and say we would like Tom back. So I did Pirates of Penzance there. Ha <laughs> ha, another Pirates of Penzance. Mm-hmm. I did Desert Song. I did Student Prince. So I did all these operettas up there. Well, that's
0: clearly there was something else going on there. You know, yes, it's not just you're tall and you have a great voice, but clearly they liked you. Sometimes you want to just tell these kids, you know, there's something about being... A professional and and being on time and being cooperative and being helpful there's something about that that makes you memorable and
2: i tell young people all the time be nice yes be nice mm-hmm. because i can't tell you how many people i worked with who weren't and they never worked again you know <laughs> and, i mean and they might have been
0: supremely talented too that's right if they're jerks eh,
2: you don't want them around producers don't want to bring them back Mm. If they poison the cast, basically, they don't want them back. Yes, that's right. And, that's- and I mean, every cast, I was very lucky. Every cast that I ever worked with in professional theater, they were wonderful. Mm. They were wonderful. They were nice people. They loved doing what they did. Um, I said, even the group in Florida, it wasn't the cast. It was the director, who's also the mm-hmm. producer, but it wasn't them. They were lovely. They were mm-hmm. wonderful. He was the poison pill. Poison he was. Oh god, he was. <laughs> and and it's funny because when he died I kept thinking of a song from Chorus Line and I felt nothing. I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I didn't. That's right. That's right. Well, it's, we're off on a tangent here. Let's get back. I know. Let's get back to Buffalo. Okay. But so the, then you do come back to Buffalo with the Hyatt. Correct. And what jobs did you have here then?
2: HR. I worked in the Human Research Department and, and, and is that and
0: where you spent most of your most of your career?
2: No. <laughs> well, <laughs> no. Most of my career over, I retired from the Center for Financial Training. That's where which you're... was basically a school for banks and credit unions. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still a, they're a national organization. They're still going strong. I stay in touch with my assistant from here. And what did you do there? I taught. I hired teachers. I loved textbooks from class to class. And how'd that connection happen? From
0: working at the Hyatt in, in, in <laughs>
2: HR to well. Again, Peter, I I, I, I want to say I fall into it or I step into it. I don't know how it happens. There's a, an organization of training directors, ASTD, which is the training managers. Mm-hmm. Um, I belong to the organization, and I was asked to do some presentations at that program. Ah. And one day I had three bankers come up to me and say, we have an offer we'd like to make you, and stole me from the Hyatt and hired me for the Center for fin- it used to be called the American Institute of Banking, and then it became the Center for Financial Training. Mm. But they hired me, put me to work. And I was with them until I retired. That's fantastic.
0: Things work out the way they're supposed to work out, I guess. I think so. <laughs> for me, it has, Peter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For you, it has. So now, okay, let's go back to Neil Who You come back to Buffalo. Neil looks you up right away. You do some shows at the Alleyway, and there was so much going on in Buffalo theater at that point. Oh. And it, it sometimes it, it just surprises me just how much creativity and how much energy Buffalo, for some reason, became this sort of innovative center of creativity and exciting music
2: and, and theater, and it just sort of washed over everybody. But I don't think that's new. There's an old saying that, it, you know, vaudeville would bring acts here to Buffalo. Mm-hmm. If you didn't make it in Buffalo, you didn't go on to New York. Right, right. So I think we've always had that passion for music and theater.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes. The hunger for it. But, but for us to suddenly, not suddenly, but for us to also become this center of all these little theaters popping up, because as we said, we went from community theater to dinner theater to small professional, and all of a sudden there's 10 small professional theaters all around mm-hmm. town, starting with Neil, and then yep. David yes. Lamb, of course, yep. and so on. So you, you, But anyway, you worked
2: with Neil then. And I love Neil, because Neil would put me in plays. Thank, thank you, Neil. I see. Neil. <laughs> Not just musicals. Neil would put me in non-musicals. Mm-hmm. I mean, he would put me in musicals also, but he would also put me in non-musicals. And that my favorite, I have to say, one of my favorite shows was the last show I did there um, in the fall of, what was it, 2019, before everything died. Mm-hmm. And it was a Gordon Farrell piece called Navigators. And I loved it. I loved the role. I loved it. You know the show; it was wonderful. But Neil does that. Neil, well, Neil actually said Gordon Farrell asked for me, which was lovely. But you know, I mean, how often does a playwright get to ask?
0: For and Neil actually wrote for you, didn't he? Talk about your Sherlock
2: series. Right. Three Sherlock musicals. We did a trilogy of Sherlock Holmes, a musical version of it. Yes, and Neil wrote those. Yes, for me with Gordon Farrell again. Gordon mm-hmm. Farrell was part of that writing also, and they were wonderful. And we had Shalakians come, we had Holmesians come. I didn't (laughs) know, I had no idea that there are people that really follow them like so strictly. Mm -hmm. Um, So we became a little nervous about that because they were coming to see these musical versions of these pieces that they loved, you know, these books that they loved. But they liked them. You can ask Rich Kramer. Yes. He came when he was a kid with his grandma. He's still a kid, for God's sake! I know he is, but he came to see the Sherlock Holmes pieces because his grandmother was a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. Wow! And she brought him. <laughs>
0: that's amazing. That's that's something. Was each of the musicals based on a particular Sherlock Holmes
2: book or story? Yes, he followed certain stories. We even did the uh, the Falls, the Rook and fall. Oh, Yeah, because um. Ernie played the villain. Ernie, you know, Ernie and Santa. Sure. Ernie played my, the villain. He was our villain in that one when he uh-huh. chased me up the, the cliff and we fell over the falls. So, yeah, I mean, and I had, God, several Watsons, but primarily Billy Laverne was my Watson. Oh, Billy, sure. He still calls me Sheryl. Yeah, when he calls me. <laughs> He's such a sweet guy. Oh, I love that man. Love yeah. that man to death. But, I mean, again, we have sent such talent all over. Whether it be New York, whether it be California, whether it be Chicago, Buffalo continues to send amazing talent all over the country, and they
0: work. Mm-hmm. Was that like a highlight for you? Those Sherlock plays,
2: musicals. I have to say, yes, they were they were very special to me. I have to say, they they yes, and they I wouldn't have taken that as my. <laughs> my moniker i guess sherlock i mean if i didn't love those three pieces very much and the fact that neil wrote them for us and the set i don't know if you ever got to see them but the set was incredible his mm-hmm. sets were amazing for that my laboratory by my, my little place that i worked was just amazing and, and incredible and you know as an actor you know peter as an actor you want that you want to f- Feel your surroundings, your costume. I mean, all that helps you. I mean, I don't want to hear an actor tell me that that doesn't help them because, yes, it does. <laughs> the minute you put on the costume, you feel different.
1: Absolutely. Thank you.
2: Yes, You yes. do. It just, all that helps so much. It really was was
0: Neil doing, people don't remember this, but, you know, Neil did everything. At, at his theater, he wrote the music, he yes. played the music, yes. he recorded the music, he yes. he did the lights, he did, was yes. he doing the lights and the set and everything? Yes, he did it all. He was a wrecking crew, he was amazing.
2: Yeah, and he did it all, and, yeah. and did it well. I mean, even for this last show that I did, the, the Gordon Farrell piece, the, mm-hmm. the Navigators, he was still, the set he built, well, he got nominated for the set. Yeah. It was a ship that moved on stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was incredible. I mean, and, and his lighting for it was beautiful. I mean, he was still doing the whole thing. So I've always loved working with Neil because he always made me look good. He's also a wonderful director. He is. Uh, he, I, I would say that to this day, I know not to stand against furniture because if I stood against furniture, I would get yelled at. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I know. And he always, it was one thing he always said about me too. He said, I love working with you because you're a man who doesn't mind standing with his hands at his side. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Because that's the way we stand as humans. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, he would always say that too. He said, you're comfortable with, you know, just standing. I go, yeah, I'm comfortable standing. Yeah, Yeah, I'm comfortable standing. But it's interesting because between Neil and Lynn Kurtzel from Motto, oh, well, I'll bring up Lynn, because I've worked with Lynn since she was 16 years old. We did Dames at Sea together. And where was that? At the Jewish Center. Okay. And Neil directed. Hmm. Neil directed again. But I got to meet this amazing young woman who has been such an important part of my life also, because she's cast me at our park. She She's cast me several times in, in shows. And it's wonderful working with her because Lynn is so organized. She's a Neil. She's another Neil. Oh, she's amazing. They're both amazingly organized individuals who come in with what they want done at that rehearsal. They do mm-hmm. not waste your time. Either of them waste right. your time. Right. So I you figure I had this amazing group of people that I worked with. Mm-hmm. Back in those days, I mean, Lynn and, and Neil. Yeah, we and- should
0: mention, see if there are, are there any other like names that we should mention that are sort of like unsung, well, I, I don't even want to say unsung heroes, but who were the people that you most admired and most feel grateful to have worked with? Lynn was one, obviously, and Neil and- Michael Hake. Michael Hake. Talk about a great talent.
2: I learned from Michael Hake, too. When you sang a song, if the word is it you, it better be you and not you. Won't <laughs> you? Won't you love me? He was like all over you. I mean, mm-hmm. it, and but I thought good for him. Diction.
0: Yes, yes. What about Michael Galanti? We mentioned that he's coming. I love Michael. A lot of people who listen to this podcast have never even heard of this man. And now he's coming back to work at the Cavanoki. What exactly? Where did he come from? Where did you meet him?
2: He was in the first Dames at Sea with Lynn and I. Wow. At the Jewish Center back in the seventies, I mean, back in the seventies and eighties, yeah. he was he was a he, big on the dinner theater. Did a lot of comedy, yes, musical comedies, and so on. Yeah, Melik um, in Miami did a lot with Melik in Miami. Very talented, mm-hmm. very talented man. I've always and very funny. Yes. He, he's a great, he's a funny man. Yeah, and you know Peter as well as I do. Comedy is much more difficult than
0: drama. I would say that out loud, but then all the, all the other people would get mad at me. You know, it's funny
2: musical theater. Come on, folks. You have to learn choreography. You have to learn music. You have to learn lyrics. You have to learn the play. You have to learn blocking. It's the hardest. It's everything. Hey, I'll gladly do a play any time that I just have to do a play. Well, you know, I'm not
0: a musical theater guy. I've done maybe one musical every four or five years. And every time I'm in one, I just stare at the people who are dancing and working so hard. And I have so much incredible admiration for them (laughs) because then I have to learn. It's not just blocking in words. Now you have to learn. You have to learn to breathe at the right moments. You have to learn to breathe while you're moving your feet in a different direction. It's insane. (laughs) I have so much admiration for musical theater people like yourself. And I do,
2: too. And I always have. Well, that's I'm also a musical theater person. Well, yeah. But I appreciate it because I've done both. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I understand. It's it. I, I'll do a play. Give me a play anytime, and I'll be happy, man. I, you know, <laughs> if I just have to learn dialogue and blocking, I'm happy. Yeah, that's it, great. I have to say, this old guy loves the young people that I see out there working in theater. Oh man, mm-hmm. it's encouraging. It's exciting. Uh, it's amazing. Some of the talent that I see on stage. And I admire that so much, you know, with the young group that's coming up. And I think a lot of that has to do with our school system.
0: Mm. It does. It. You know what? I'm going to see the Niagara University uh, Senior Showcase. I was talking to Doug Cheegner out at NU. Oh, I love Doug, yeah. Their program is, is terrific. How many of those kids come out of that program, and then a year later, you see them on stage in Buffalo or bigger places than Buffalo? Right. They do a great job, and I, I agree oh. with you.
2: And it actually goes back to our high schools. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I look at, I just went and saw West Seneca West production and I sat there going, these young people, Beauty and the Beast in high school. It's crazy. And it was wonderful. I mean, wonderful, and that's uh, Keith Ersing, you know, the director. Oh, of course, Keith. and Phil Ferrugia does West Seneca East High School. Like,
0: Lisa Ludwig is doing yes. a- Sweeney Todd. She's
2: doing it at Ambers. Yes, I- at Ambers. Are you? Uh-huh. Are you kidding me? You're doing- yeah. And Bobby <laughs> Cook, Bobby Cook's directing. Uh, Anything goes. I think Sweet Home. So these young people, even in high school, are getting this amazing. Chance to work with some amazing directors yes. and choreographers. And those are the ones then hopefully will go on to the universities, into their music and theater programs. And they're the ones turning them out. And I think and, it's and
0: hopefully many of them will stick around here in town and keep contributing
2: to our cultural scene, if anything. They always ask, a lot of times they'll say, Should I go? And I will always say yes, because you never want to look back and say, I wish I would have. And I'm so glad that I did it because I would never want to look back and say, wow, well, I should have tried it.
0: That brings me to my question, my final question to you. I try to ask certain people what I call my off-road question. Two roads converged in a woods and I took the one less traveled by. Mm-hmm. What's the road that you didn't take that you might have taken? If you weren't in theater, if you're not even in entertainment, what's the road you might have taken? Oh. Anything in school that maybe appealed to you? That you didn't?
2: I think I would have become a teacher. Ah. An educator. Interesting. Because I did it. I mean, I did a little, not a lot of it, but I did some of it when I worked.
0: For well, you did something with the bankers, uh,
2: for sure. With yeah. the bankers, yeah. I taught communications. I taught, taught business communications. Mm-hmm. So I think I would have liked to have been a teacher because I admire teachers so much. I'm, I'm an avid reader. I always have a book in my hand. <laughs> my whole family does. Um, and that was Mrs. Fearman, I can tell you from Hutch Tech, Mrs. Fearman instilled that love of reading into me and to this day might you have been an English teacher or history or I minored in English at UB Uh, that was my minor was English Mm -hmm. took every English course I possibly could so yes I probably would have done that that's the one thing I would have probably done
0: that's great well Tom, I think we've covered everything. I hope this wasn't too painful. I we have talked for an hour. <laughs> we've talked for an hour and at the time I, just I made you blew wait though. By. I felt so bad
2: I made you wait so long because I was like, who really wants to hear
0: this? You know, it's okay, go on. Honestly, I don't know who wants to hear any of these people, but I I want to talk to the people who I find interesting. <laughs> and, and and that's why I'm talking to you because I I find this fascinating. And every and frankly, every little detail that you fill in of stuff that I missed or have forgotten about. I have this great fascination for it and want to learn as much as I can about it.
2: It was huge. I mean, it was like, yeah, we really, and I have to say the reason I'm doing this is because (laughs) I I think I told you, I had posted after seeing West Side Story, the movie, Mm -hmm. um, how much I liked the movie. And that's all I said. And one of the young actors in Buffalo came back and said, I expected more from you. (laughs) And I was like, what? Oh, my gosh. He said, I admire you and your work. And he goes, I really expected more. And so then I did get a little more detail in in my Facebook post. Mm -hmm. And he wrote back and said, thanks. That's what I wanted to hear. Wow. So I kept thinking, I guess I should do what Peter wants me to do. St-
0: <laughs> well, I, you know, this may come as a surprise to you, but apparently people respect you.
2: I guess.
0: <laughs> but you know what? It, may, it might be just a function of our age at this point where it's more it's more of just respectful, pat on the back. Yeah. Okay, nice old man.
2: <laughs> yeah, the old man. Take care of the old man. Just humor him. Every time you hi. go to a
0: restaurant and the and the waitress calls me honey oh. or sweetheart, she's calling <laughs> Every old guy at the every one of us. Every one of us is a sweetheart. And make sure you leave me a tip.
2: You show your AARP card, and they're they're right there with it. Yeah, that's
0: it. (laughs) Tom Owen, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. It's it's been fun as I knew it would be.
2: Thank you, Peter. This has been great.
0: Take care of yourself, sir. Take
2: care, Peter. Thanks so much. Bye, bye now. My buddy.
0: You mention it, I might be a little bit more mad, but it has nothing to do with March. It might have something more to do with what's going on in Ukraine, but, oh, never mind. Tom Owen is a very nice man. Spent a lot of time with me, and he was, uh, he was full of great stories. I hope you enjoyed that. Now, before we go, I just want to remind you that our LTPs, Tribes, is running over there on the RLTP Theater stage at 456 Main Street. I have to tell you that I went to see this show yesterday and it was fabulous. What a great cast. What a great, great script. And Lynn Koscielniak's set design, I can't tell you that I've ever seen anything better. It is gorgeous. Great performances. Terrific play. You won't be sorry greatly deserving of its four-star review. RoadLessTraveledProductions.org is the website. It runs until March 27th. Don't miss it. And if you've already seen that, I want to plug one more time the show that I'm in called The Children, co-produced by Red Thread Theatre and the new Phoenix on the Park Theatre. It is also running till March 26th, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday nights at 730 I absolutely love this play. I'd love to see you there. Newphoenixtheater.org is the website, and until then, we'll see you next time here on RLTP's Off-Road with me, Pete Pomisano.